Well, we're turning the scriptures this evening to 1 Corinthians and the first chapter, 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. I want to take as my text the 18th verse here, uh, which is this, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. may refer to other parts of this passage as the Spirit leads, but uh, for the time being that is the text which I want to consider with you tonight. And I will take just three, the, the three heads that we usually take and uh, we will work from those. First of all, the preaching which is spoken of here, for it says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Secondly, the power, for it says here, which are, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God, and then also the perishing. So we'll take the three Ps from the, from the actual verse itself here and consider the perishing also, uh, those that perish. So first of all, when we consider this portion of Scripture, the Apostle is concerned about the church at Corinth. Uh, they are not one in their, uh, in their proclamation of the gospel. Uh, there are a lot of problems, in fact, in the church. There's a lot of un- misunderstanding. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, of the attributes of fallen man amongst them. Now, we can't criticize them, though, because we're, we're all the same. We all still have that old nature. Uh, we still have the, the sins which do so easily beset us. And sometimes, and perhaps most of the time, is sins that we don't even recognize as being particularly sinful. Uh, one of the things which the people of Corinth desired was that they should be looked up to, that they should have some kind of glory themselves. We can see even in these words of verse 12 that the apostle uh, has something to say about this when they were, there were contentions <coughs> among them. And they each said, I am of Paul. Ah, Paul is this mighty man, this, this great church planter has walked across and, and sailed across and traveled to so many cities and came here and, and, well, I am of Paul. Paul is the one that we need to follow. Others say, I am of Apollos. Ah, Apollos is preaching. What a mighty man he is. Oh, he has a way with words. I love to hear him speak. I love to hear what he has to say. And others again, I have Kephas. Uh, the word here is so often pronounced Cephas, but uh, the word comes from Kephale, uh, which is a stone. Uh, that's what his name means. Uh, it's also used of our head. I don't know if you realize your heads are rocks, uh, but the word Kephalic is the word which is used of a head in, med- in medicine. And uh, that's the same word as the word for a stone. So here is, uh, is Peter. But Peter, of course, was with the Lord. Paul wasn't with the Lord. Uh, Apollos wasn't with the Lord, but we follow Peter. And then someone tops them all as a the story topping here and, and says, well, huh, you might be of Paul and you may be of, of Apollos and you may be of Kephas, but I am of Christ. I, I'm the best. I am of Christ. And you see how they, they, they work amongst themselves and, and, and try to better one another. That's not the spirit of unity. Uh, we, we, we need to understand that God hasn't chosen the best. And Paul goes on to say that in this chapter, doesn't he? He doesn't, he doesn't choose many mighty. He's not choosing the best of us. 
God goes around and, and chooses from uh, the, the underclass of the world and, and the dregs of the world. And the more we recognize uh, that we are sinners and have need of salvation, the better it will be for us. And here is the, the word that the Lord then uh, gives to Paul to speak to them. And Paul says, Christ is not divided. There is one gospel. We are members of one body. In fact, later on in this uh, in the, in this uh, epistle, he speaks about the body. We are we are we are together, and, and we are different parts of the body. And therefore, if we are different parts of the body, then we can expect to be different from each other. That's that's the strength of the church. That there are people who are outgoing. There are people who who are just fade away into the shadows there are people who are great in prayer there are great, those who who are great in preaching there are those who who work behind the scenes uh, uh, preparing things and doing things within the church there are encouragers and there are there are so many different aspects to the work of god just like our bodies have so many parts which are they different different functions and sometimes those functions work on each other, don't they? If you know anything about biology, uh, you'll know that sometimes the functions of one part will affect the function of another part. As our adrenal gland begins to produce adrenaline, our heart pumps faster, and uh, we awaken and are uh, ready for a fight or flight, and it affects other parts. You know, whatever your situation within the church, whatever you think you may be, you can affect the whole church because every part of the body has an effect on every other part of the body. And we need to recognize one another that we are all useless on our own. There is no part of the human body that works by itself. If you cut off a finger, it's no, no longer any use. And Paul is seeking to draw them together and to work together. But then he goes on and he speaks about the gospel itself. This is where our focus needs to be. Our focus needs to be on Christ. The focus needs to be on what God has done and what Christ has done. And as he finishes off this chapter, we can see the summary in what he says. And that is, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Don't glory in who you are, what you're able to do. Don't glory in the things of, of, of the church and what you do in the church and what other people don't do in the church and all of those things. But glory in Christ. Keep our eyes fixed upon Christ. Give him the glory. Glory, we just sang, glory to his name. And so the apostle says, well, Christ sent me not to baptize so that people can say, well, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Peter. But he was sent forth the preaching of the cross and so here again the focus of the apostle is christ and this actual focus here that he is speaking about is the preaching of the death of christ it is the salvation of god through christ as he dies upon the cross the preaching of the cross it says anything else demeans or detracts from the preaching of the cross for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. So here we have this, this uh, centra, central tenet of the Christian life and the Christian work, and that is the preaching of the cross. Whether we do it ourselves as preachers, 
or whether we do it to encourage preachers or to stand around preachers or even if our preaching is a, a simple, of a simple kind, just a, a conversation here, a word drop there, an encouragement there, uh, whatever it may be, it is all to this purpose that the gospel go forth and that God be glorified because ultimately the gospel glorifies God. And God was the one who sent Christ into the world. God was the one who accepted the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross on our behalf. You know, we kind of think that this was something which God had to do. God didn't have to do that. God was gracious. And God, because he found none who could stand in the gap before him, came and brought salvation himself through Jesus Christ. And in covenant, he accepts the death of Christ on our behalf. So, first of all, then, we have here this preaching. This preaching. And the preaching is a very simple thing. Uh, we, we think about the preaching in its simplicity as a verbal communication. Uh, we all talk. And even people who can't talk still talk. And so people perhaps who are deaf, people who are dumb, they still talk. They still talk with their hands. They talk with signs and symbols. They can talk perhaps with uh, uh, the written word. But it's all a communication. So it's the simplest thing. And it is the same thing across the world. And when we, when we bring the word of God and we preach this word, it is just a, such a simple thing to do. We don't have to climb mountains. Or we don't have to traverse the earth. We don't have to go on pilgrimages. We don't have to do any of those things. All we have to do is talk to each other and talk to people who don't know Christ. Just talking. Isn't that what we do? Do we not talk? No, some are better at talking than others. Some... Uh, are not particularly talkers, personally, uh, in, in a personal fashion. Uh, some perhaps are better preachers than they are talkers. But here, the verbal communication is such a simple thing. And that is what it pleased God to use. It says here in verse 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So the wisdom of the world, the world by wisdom knew not God. If the, if the world would actually put its mind to wisdom and not uh, continually uh, tell itself that there is no God and therefore everything they see confirms that, of course, called confirmation bias, if they were actually wise to look at creation and think about what actually is done here, and the complexity of it and of the a whole ecology of the world and all of those things. If they actually looked at those things, they must come to a conclusion that there is something uh, or someone. And it has to be a person, really, because, well, we're people. Otherwise, we are the, the apex to this point of, of the universe. And the universe has evolved all by itself into intelligent beings. So that the universe, because we're a part of it, can actually manipulate itself. That's an amazing thing. So this universe, which came out of some singularity at some point, uh, of which no one can tell us what it was, because the, the basic answer is, well, what came before the Big Bang, if you believed in a Big Bang, is, well, we don't know. We don't know. Any honest uh, scientist will say, well, we don't know. So they don't know. What was there? What is it that's eternal? What is it that is what being is it don't know but the scripture says 
that the being is God. God is a spirit. And that God created all things. And that we all answer to God. Oh, it is God who gives this word. He is chosen because the wisdom of the world is to look at the world and come up with something else. Why do they need to come up with something else? Because they start off with, we don't believe in God. So there must be another explanation. We're going to find it out and we're going to prove it. But they can't prove it because it's not provable. So it pleased God because the wisdom of the world didn't work for the gospel. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. He says, well, you don't understand wisdom. You're not accepting wisdom. So I'm just going to send forth my people and they will preach. They will preach the word and they will speak this word. And as we read in Psalm 68 and verse 11, the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. And here we go forth to publish the word. So we do. God has given it to us. Uh, sometimes we might look at it and think, well, nobody's going to understand that. But they do understand it because it has pleased God by his wisdom to make it understandable, comprehensible, and to touch hearts and souls. So therefore we preach the word. The psalmist says in Psalm 40 and verse 9, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation, though I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. And in Psalm 51, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. The preaching of the word. So simple, anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. And that is the preaching in its simplicity. But then, of course, the preaching in its subject, and here is the subject which Paul puts before us. The preaching of the cross is to them that, that perish foolishness. The preaching of the cross. Well, if anybody, anything is going to put people off, is preaching a cross. And people have actually made this point. And there are those who go around with a cross around their neck and uh, perhaps on a, on a chain or uh, one in the back of their car or hanging from the mirror or whatever else it may be. And, uh, and people have asked the question, well, why would you want this terrible and horrible and uh, vicious mode of execution hanging in your car? Why would you want that hanging around your neck? A thing made to torture, a, made, a thing made to kill. Now, of course, it's not the cross itself that Paul is referring to here. It is what the cross, what was accomplished on the cross, the cross of Christ. And it is a specific work which was done. When we think about the cross, we see two aspects. We see the aspect of humanity's sinfulness, and we see the aspect of of humanity's judgment or being judged so first of all we think about this aggravated penalty when a person was judged guilty they were hanged upon a cross judged guilty judged by whom judged by the world and men are judgmental they're often a problem which arises in churches, as we've already said. We're judgmental. We can judge other people and say, well, they don't do this, they don't do that. And, of course, uh, there are times when judgments need to be made. Judgments in law. Uh, we are surrounded by judgments in these days more than ever, I think, in this country than ever before. And, of course, when you put the gospel to the side and people are not following after uh, righteousness, then they follow after sin and they follow after their own hearts and they have to keep on bringing in more laws because they keep trying to break them. 
And the more they break them, the more laws come in, and the more restrictions there are. And we have um, cameras on every corner of the, of the country, it seems. And sometimes you wonder, why have I got a camera there? But there are cameras everywhere, more cameras in this country uh, per, uh, per person of population than any other country in the world, we're told. Why? Because people don't fear God. It used to be that people feared God. And when they feared God, they knew that God could see them wherever they were. And there was always a camera on then. But they weren't being judged by men. They were judged by God and by their own conscience. So here we have this aggravated penalty. So we see the penalty of sin which man agrees to. We agree to penalties. And if we go nowhere else, we could just go to a, a, a game which is played. Football, for instance. Somebody fouls someone and the game is stopped and a free kick is given. If it happens to be in a, an aggravated offence within the six-yard box uh, or, or the, uh, the, the, that wider goal area, then they're given a penalty. They're right front and they only have a goalkeeper in front of them to score past. The penalty is given. And there are penalties in every sport under, under heaven. And yet it seems that penalties for, for things actually criminal are getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Easier and easier and easier. The penalties in football uh, just at this moment are, are harder perhaps because now they have uh, this technology so that if you're offside by a, a couple of centimetres, anything that can be possibly judged by a camera, well then you're offside. It used to be down to the discretion of the referee so there are judgments being made all the time we agree with judgments the world agrees with judgments sinners agree with judgments we're quite happy to judge other people but we think well if it's me well that's all right there's there's mitigating circumstances in my situation but we do agree with judgment and here is that which we see upon the cross the judgment of god which should be ours is poured out upon Christ upon the cross and we need to examine ourselves and say, do you know what, if Jesus Christ died on the cross and suffered those agonies and suffered the mockeries and suffered the, the, the uh, wrath of God and the darkness which came upon the face of the earth and to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me upon the cross there? Then those things were ours. He took them for us. And if he doesn't take them for us, then they are still ours. And that judgment will be upon us. And we have to say, well, we agree with judgments. And if this is the judgment for sin, then we agree with it. And then the agonizing pain here, this, this suffering, this which has come upon us. So we see that we agree with judgment, but we also see this, this judgment upon ourselves, which should be ours. This agonizing pain. The Bible tells us about the pains of hell. Jesus, from the cross, if you remember, one of the things which he uttered was, I thirst. When we look at the, uh, Luke's uh, gospel, we read there in Luke 16, verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Yeah. Basically, he's saying, I thirst. I thirst. Jesus Christ 
took the judgment of God upon himself so that we might go free. We agree with the judgment. We see here also that the judgment is ours. And then we find that of this subject of the cross, an agreed propitiation. Propitiation is to turn away the wrath of God. It is to, it is to turn away uh, the anger which God has towards sin. And this is a, a covenanted pardon. This is made in, the, in, in whatever eternity is, because there is no time in it. But, but God agreed in his own person among the, the, the three persons of the Trinity, that this would be the way of salvation. And a covenant was made, and it was agreed that if Christ died for his people, that would be acceptable instead of every person's individual punishment. God didn't need to do that. It is holy of grace. Even the death of Christ, which we think of as being an infinite price to be paid because an infinite life was given because there was no sin therefore there was no death but he died but when Christ died it was accepted of the father it was accepted that that would be accounted to us and that our sins would be accounted to Christ an agreed propitiation this is the cross which Paul preaches a horrific place Ye, we read in Acts, who by wicked hands crucified the Lord of glory. But it was by God's determinate counsel. And the judgment which fell upon him should have been ours. And then the accessible pardon. Because how are we saved by the cross of Christ? We're not actually there. We can't touch it. And even if there were such a thing as a piece of the cross, as the Church of Rome has proclaimed in time past, and they have a piece of the cross and you could go and you could touch it. So what? How does that connect? But how do we have this salvation, this pardon? It is acceptable, it is accessible simply as the gospel is preached simply It is accessible by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So simple. So simple. And yet the world reject it. They say, oh no, we don't believe. We don't believe that. It's foolishness. In our wisdom, we judge it foolishness. Particularly preaching. I mean, we could understand if we had to do something, but preaching. And all we've got to do is believe what you say. And then we're saved. That's what the world thinks. And God says, well, you just carry on thinking it. Because God doesn't need us. God is eternal. And before we were created, he was quite happy. We don't know why he decided to create mankind. But he doesn't need us. He needs nothing. And yet, by grace, and in his own determinate counsel, this is what he has done. Now, the preaching of the cross. We see then the power. The power of the cross is simple, and I have to go uh, very quickly now uh, on my last two points, so I've taken all the time up on the first one. But the power is simply this. First of all, it is true. It's sincerity. It is true. This preaching of the gospel is true. And therefore, what God says it will do, it will do. He has uh, tied himself 
by his very word, and God cannot lie. And then also, uh, he has sworn by himself, because there's, no one, there's nothing greater than himself, by two immutable things. Uh, the book of Hebrews puts it as, he has made these promises, and he will not change. It is true. It is sincerely put, and it is true. The gospel is true. I was interested to hear the other day uh, that uh, someone uh, using that old saying and uh, uh, how that they uh, spoke about someone who was pronouncing something or other and they said, well, it, it, uh, it, it's, it's as if they are saying that as though it's gospel. It's a tremendous thing that that still comes in ordinary parlance. It's the gospel because the gospel is true. Then also, the power of it is not just simply that the, the, the gospel is true, but it is suitable. It is suitable to the perishing heart, because it is the heart. It is our soul. It is our, our, our understanding. It is our desires. It is the will of man. It is the, the, the very essence of man which needs to be saved. And the suitability of it is it's not something that the body does. It is something that the mind accepts. It is something that the heart accepts. It is something which the soul accepts. And so the power of the gospel and the power of the cross is that it is preached to us that we might be saved by the power of God. Not a thing that we do because the flesh is all to perish and we will die. We'll have a, a, a new body, but this body will die. And whatever it does, it doesn't make a difference to our souls. But faith, believing, on the Lord Jesus Christ is a thing which the body cannot do. It is something which the mind must do. It is something which the heart must do. It is something which the soul must do. And it is the soul and the heart and the spirit which is saved. It is a transformation. It is a repentance, a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of, of intellectual purpose, our reasonable service, Romans 12. It's suitable. And then, of course, it's spirituality. It's more than just words. The Spirit of God takes the word. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Why? Well, because it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It pleased God. And that's all you really need. If it pleases God, who can stand? Who, who, who can disagree with him? And we might disagree with him uh, with, with words, but it doesn't make any difference to what God does, does it? We can't change his mind. We can't force him to do something else. And of course, man doesn't, uh, with his natural um, atheism, doesn't believe that God is there. So he's not even trying. And it would be futile even if he did try. So it is the power of the preaching of the cross. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. After that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And then finally, well, we consider this last point of the perishing. What is the destination of the perishing. Well, we've read together already from Luke 16 of the, of the rich man 
who died and was buried and in hell lifted up his eyes. This is what's meant by the perishing. It is foolishness to them that perish. Them that perish. And that should challenge our hearts. If you think today that the gospel is foolishness, if you think that the way of salvation is foolishness, if you think that the death of Christ is foolishness, it's because you are perishing. And except you repent, you will perish. And you will perish for eternity. The perishing of the people, the destination. The destination is hell, not something which is preached on very much these days, but it really ought to be. It really ought to be preached. In fact, it is said that Jesus Christ himself preached on hell far more and mentions hell far more than he ever mentions heaven. It's one of his great themes. And of course, it ought to be a great thing because the mass of humanity are going there. And they need to know it. Then we see not just that destination of the perishing, but the delusion of the perishing. Because they don't believe that they are perishing. They don't believe. And, and it's a strange thing is that we have, we have this, I don't know what it is, but it is something... Uh, hope springs eternal the old saying was in, in the human breast we have this this denial of death we have denial that it's ever going to happen to us we're driving too fast but we'll be okay it's not going to happen to us nobody's going to pull out in front of me we do dangerous things and well it, it's not going to hurt me we're working perhaps on, on uh, some uh, item and we really ought to have Goggles on our eyes because, well, you know, it's dangerous. And I've been to hospital a few times when I worked many years ago uh, with uh, shards of metal in my eyes. And I had to have, go and get that taken out um, with a, I don't know what they use, a needle, I think. Uh, and that had to go to the hospital with that. And I didn't have goggles on. Because, well, it's not going to happen to me, is it? I'll make sure it doesn't happen to me. But we can't tell. We don't know what's going to happen. But we're always hopeful. And death itself, well, it's a long way away yet. I'm not going to die yet. Yeah, I've got another seven years before I'm 70, and three score years and ten, going to make that easy. We don't know that. We don't know we're going to make it home tonight. We don't know anything, but we expect to, nevertheless. And the world, mankind, doesn't expect hell. Ah, God won't do that. Even if there is a God, I don't believe there is a God, I don't believe there is a hell, but even if there was one, God's not going to throw me in there. You know, I'm quite a good person. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nice to my neighbours and, and, you know, I, I, I've never persecuted anybody. God will be all right. He'll all be all right in the end. And that's the attitude. But God says that that, that is a delusion. That's a delusion. The Apostle Paul recognises this. He says, for we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savour of death unto death. To the other a savour of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? The preaching of the gospel brings forth every time a decision in the heart of man. A decision to believe or disbelieve. To continue in unbelief or to repent and believe the gospel every time it is heard and Paul says it's a hard thing because you know I can think to myself they, if I didn't tell them they wouldn't be as guilty as they are after I've told them 
once they've heard the gospel, and this is a, a kind of an attitude which has come across, uh, have done in the past anyway, in the Church of Rome. Well, the less we know, the less we'll be judged. We don't want to know too much. We'll just trust the priest, the priest to get us to heaven. We don't really want to know too much about Christianity and about the Bible, just enough to get us into heaven. And if it's, if it's rough, then, well, we'll be in purgatory and maybe our, our family will, will pay to get us out. And we're, we're, uh, it'll all be all right in the end. And there is a confirmation bias. And every opportunity that we have for someone to disclaim the gospel and to say, no, these things are not true. And we're in this situation now where you spoke to someone about Christ and They've already decided that there's no God and Christ didn't live or uh, these things are not true and uh, it's all about organised religion and you just want our money and all kinds of things. There's so many excuses are out there now on the internet, aren't there? And, and people can pick them out of the air and say, oh, you know, you say that, but, and you say this, but. And it's a confirmation bias. It's to make them feel better. They, they are saying to themselves, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And then finally, the difference in the perishing. Because you see, we're all perishing. As soon as we're born, we are perishing. And we're all on that same broad road to hell. But some will repent. And the apostle makes a difference here. For he says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The very opposite here is not folly, it is actual power. Power. There is an energy. There is a salvation. There is the very power of God in this gospel and in the cross and in salvation. And it's not necessarily the expected. Sometimes we wish it was. We, we need people who can speak. We need people who have got, got energy. We need people who are going to get out there and preach that on the street corners who fear no one. A bit like the apostle who was zealous for Judaism and when the Lord saved him, was zealous for Christ. But some of us are, are introverts. Some of us are pff, preaching on a street corner. Don't fancy that. And we want people who are something. We want the mighty. And, and there are, there, some of them have been risen. Not many mighty, it says, here. But there are some. And we look back in history at the mighty men that have gone before. And we think, to ah, what we need is a John Knox. What we need is a, a C.H. Spurgeon for this day. What we need is someone who's going to stand up there. John, John Wesley, a, a, a Whitfield. That's what we need. But God says, no, that's, that, I do that occasionally. Occasionally I'll, I'll, I'll have someone and, and they'll, be, they'll be famous and they'll do mighty things. But for the most part, I choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. For the most part, I, I, I choose those things which are, well, they're just not even there to bring to naught the things that are there. And God can use you, whatever your situation is, God can use you because that is who God uses. The difference here is between those that perish and those that believe. Where do you stand tonight? Are you one who is perishing 
and will continue to perish, confirming your corruption by every argument the world can bring, the wisdom of this world? Or will you believe the word which God has given and turn to Christ? Jeremiah 9.24, we read, But let him that glorieth, glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And this is one of those verses, no doubt, in which the apostle speaks in verse 31 here, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. It is written on a number of places. It's not necessarily just one, one quote here, but there are a number of places. It says, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. In different words, but that is the, 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 the kernel of it. The Lord is salvation. And the cross of Christ is the very nexus of that salvation. May the Lord bless with understanding, with salvation, those who hear the preaching of the word tonight. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, we thank thee that thou, in thy purposes, hath sent forth salvation to humanity, fallen humanity, proud humanity, sinful humanity, wise in their own conceits. Lord, that thou didst send forth Jesus Christ, and the simplicity of the gospel, even though there was a great complexity of what Christ accomplished for us. The simplicity of the preaching of it, the simplicity of the reception of it. We thank thee, Lord, for so great a salvation. And, oh, Lord, we pray for those who think themselves too wise for God. For thou hast made the wisdom of this world foolishness. And it pleased thee by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Bless your word. Bless hearts and souls who hear this word. Lord, we pray that there might be salvation to the glory of thy name. For thy name is worthy of glory alone. Amen.